0: i Rachel Berenbaum, author of A Bend in the Stars, and today I'm here with K-Ming Chang, author of the brand new book, Bestiary. It is fantastic. It is part myth, part queer love story, part migration story, and I could not get enough of 100% of it. K-Ming, tell me what is your book about? Thank you so much for
1: having me. Um, yeah, so B series is exactly what you described. It's um, part coming-of-age story, part queer love story, and it follows three generations of Taiwanese-American women. And it kicks off with the third generation who's, uh, who goes by daughter in the book. Um, and she grows a tiger tail overnight and has to excavate her family history in order to understand the root of this tale, the source of it. Um, and through uncovering it, kind of discovers what her lineage is.
0: I love the mix of animals and humans. Can you talk about maybe what inspires some of that and what's behind it?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, for example, the story of um, that inspires that inspired this novel about a tiger spirit that lives inside the woman's body and eats the toes of children and calls them peanuts. Um, that's a, a story that I heard growing growing up a lot. Um, And the tiger woman was called hukukua. And so a lot of it were just, a lot of this book was inspired by oral stories and folklore um, and myths that I heard growing up as a kid and that I thought were kind of hilarious and also sometimes horrific and had all of these really strangely personal elements and specificity to them. Um, And yeah, all of those myths are kind of variously (laughs) scattered um, throughout the book
0: variously scattered, but also I thought beautifully scattered. Um, and also I thought it gave you a way into talking about some really hard subjects like, um, you know, abuse, for example, um, and a dysfunctional family. Uh, was that hard to write about?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it was difficult because I didn't want to write in a way that was just reproducing the trauma and and recreating the wound. I wanted to kind of not just reproduce violence because I think that <laughs> that can be really traumatizing, but to also create transformations on the page and to have, you know, language that is playful. Um, and yeah, I feel like this, this process of alchemy and transformations that it wasn't just, um, yeah, making, making violence kind of a spectacle, um, is not something I was really interested in. And I think that was really, um, what I was trying to avoid when I was writing as well. So, um, yeah, it was definitely a process of, <laughs> of figuring out, yeah, how to do that um, and how to use imagination in a very regenerative
0: and healing way as well. I love that uh, one of your main characters grows a tail. As yeah. She's ostensibly <laughs> going through puberty as she is changing and her body is changing. And um, I loved all the symbolism, everything you wrapped up in there. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so the tale, it was, I don't know, it has a life of its own, I think. It kind of, it really got away from me, which was really fun. Um, But the tale originally, was just going to be a really brief incident in the book, and then it kind of disappeared, and it was actually my editor who was like, this tale is so, I feel like it needs to be coaxed out even more. Like, you just need to unleash this tale. Um, And so once I started to do that, the tale began to take on all these different characteristics that I never really thought about before. Um, and became this like double-edged sword for for the daughter of like this weapon, but also something that connects her to her family. Um, so it was really it was really fun because I kept trying to like figure out what this tale was, was as I was writing it. And I love that I kind of ended up like not really f- like figuring out in this concrete way what this tale is and represents, but that it became something so much more complex and multifaceted. Yeah.
0: What a fantastic editor you have that she wrote really oh, yeah. You know, I think you're very sure. lucky, and I, I loved it. So um, so you mentioned language. I want to talk a little bit about the language. I've heard and read uh, reviews where people call bestiary experimental. Now, mm. No, no, what, what do you think about that label?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's really, I mean, I'm honored that people find it really experimental. I feel like I'm, I'm very, very bad at writing plots. Um, uh, and writing all these kind of like elements, you know, rising action and climax and falling action, and so I always really admire um, novelists who can who can do that so beautifully and so technically. Um, I think I'm just a huge mess <laughs> on the page, um, and I think, but yeah, but I love that idea of experimentation and play because for me, language is always um, it's something like genuinely fun and delightful and joyful for me to play with. Um, and I feel like experimentation is just um, like a product of that play. Um, and, and yeah, I'm also, I also think that I grew up with a lot of different um, models of what storytelling can look like beyond kind of like a, a Western or Eurocentric idea of what a novel or story arc should look like. Um, Be that like folktales or watching a lot of like soap operas growing up um, and reading a lot of translated literature, I think kind of shows that there's this huge massive range um, of what storytelling can look like outside of our kind of conventional ideas
0: of what it should be. Yeah. I love that you're bringing up soap operas. Do you have a favorite soap opera? Who did you watch them with?
1: Well, there is one that actually is mentioned in Bestiary, which is Desperate Housewives, is mentioned in the book. (laughs) Um, And then the daughter's kind of burgeoning crush on Gabby, who's one of the housewives, um, played by Eva Longoria Parker, um, or Eva Longoria. And... That's definitely one that obviously is very deep in my consciousness that I watched with my mom, but she wouldn't, she wouldn't, she didn't want me to watch it because obviously, um, like I was in first grade, so I should not have been watching it, but I was very, I would like secretly watch it and like hide behind the sofa and clearly everyone could see me, but I thought I was really hidden. Um, I also watched a lot of like Chinese dramas growing up and oftentimes there would be fox spirits and human-animal transformations and that obviously is very, uh, it's very much embedded in B series.
0: So you published poetry before this novel. Do you think of yourself as a poet first or a novelist or?
1: Yeah, How would you describe I mean, yourself. yeah, I mean, I feel like when I write poetry and prose, it's kind of of the same consciousness and the same desires and motivations So I I, I don't necessarily kind of distinguish myself either way, but I definitely will say that poetry is what taught me how to write and what made me love to read in a lot of ways. Um, it was like my path into language, and I think I lead with language no matter what I do. And so, yeah, I definitely think poetry is my first original love, my true love, my soulmate. For sure. Congratulations
0: on being named one of the NBA's five under 35. That well, must have been an amazing. Was it a phone call, an email? How'd you feel? Yeah. What happened?
1: Well, it was a phone call um, from Lisa Lucas of the National Book Foundation. And when I heard, well, first I got a voicemail because I didn't pick up. I was working um, and I saw the voicemail. I was like, oh, it's a crank call. You know, I I get those all the time. It's a spam call. Um, And I was like, I'll listen. I was about to delete the voicemail and never call back because I'm so used to doing that. And then I I was like, I'll listen to it. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I, I guess I enjoy hearing these crank calls. Um, and then it was like, oh, this is Lisa Lucas, please call me back. And I I flipped out. I was like, this is unreal. Um, and I did end up talking to her on the phone. Um, I almost said, oh, I thought you were a spam caller. And I'm glad I didn't say that. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I was just, I, I was in disbelief. I think it was just so shocking to me. Um, and it still feels that way. But one thing that's really beautiful is that it was Justin Torres who um, nominated me for this honor. And um, I read his book when I was like 13 years old, like eighth or ninth grade. Um, and it, it completely changed me. Um, I, there are still sentences from that book that I remember to this day and can recite to people. So it just felt so full circle. And I, that younger self, like I wish I could have told her, I think it would have, um, yeah,
0: I just thought it was so poetic, poetic. <laughs> okay. K-Ming, tell me about your chicken hobby.
1: Yes, this is kind of relevant to the book because I feel like there are a lot of like mentions of chickens. In the book, there's the chicken farm in Arkansas. Um, there's like eating the chicken neck. Um, and I, I used to raise chickens with my mom. We had quite, quite a flock. Um, so that all of those sections are, are chicken chicken autobiogra- autobiographical chicken parts. Um, my, my weird um, fascination and also like ability to spew facts about chickens um, and raising them. Uh, so it was, I mean, it was also very sad because I wrote a lot about like the slaughter of these chickens, um, <laughs> uh, which is something I, that is, has a very deep impression on me as a kid. But, um, yeah, I guess that I want to be kind of an amateur, amateur chicken farmer, And I really hope that one day when I have a little like piece of land of my own that I'll have
0: you know, infinite number of chickens, only chicken. I have to say that I'm so impressed because while we're having fun and we're laughing, there are really very, very serious parts to your book that are very impressive. And I think that the animals and the, the levity even of this conversation reflects that you have found a way into these serious subjects. So mm. congratulations. And is that something that you, you know, did you do that on purpose? I mean, did you choose animals because it was easier to talk about these hard subjects?
1: Oh, that's a really interesting question. Well, I think, well, thank you for saying that first of all, because that's one thing that I was very nervous about was that people would be like, oh, it's kind of relentlessly violent, I can't read this. Um, and I didn't want to have, like I didn't want that aversion to um, to happen in the reading experience, so that means a lot to me. Um, yeah, I think, well, I think oftentimes like in the myths and stories and folk tales that I grew up listening to, animals were in some way entwined with the human body. Um, and particularly with those who are considered kind of transgressive, like if you're an improper mother or a woman who is kind of suspicious, it must mean that you're a fox spirit, it must mean that you're possessed by an animal spirit of some kind. And I was just really interested in how those are kind of entwined together and the ways that like marginalized people were considered um, or in story were written as um, like cross species in some way. Um, or like as monstrous, monstrous bodies. Um, and yeah, so that was my entry point was through harnessing that and kind of reclaiming it and, and um, seeing it as the source of power rather than as something that is, um, yeah, that is a reason to kind of like reject them. Um, so yeah, definitely I think fantasy is my way into any story.
0: Um, Katie your book is absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for taking time and for being with me here today. May you sell many, many copies. <laughs> Thank you so much for this wonderful